Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. The first thing that really shifted my awareness on anxiety is this idea in psychology that excitement and anxiety exist on the same polarity, mm. but that, you know, excitement is anxiety in the positive and anxiety is excitement in the negative and being essentially the same substance it's like you know the sock is still a sock when it's turned inside out hello and welcome to the not perfect podcast with me your host poppy jamie recovering perfectionist and founder of mental wellness app happy not perfect this show is about hitting pause while we explore the mind soul science real-life experiences, and that confusing thing called happiness. Life throws curveballs, and I believe the greatest healing comes from honest conversation. I'll be interviewing thought leaders, change agents, scientists, and mystics for their insights and perspectives. I hope you'll join me on the journey. On today's show, we have Daniel Ryan, who is a second-generation hypnotherapist and co-director at the Center for Integrative Hypnosis in New York City. I first started working with Daniel when he created a sleep hypnosis meditation series for Happy Not Perfect, which soon became one of our most listened to tracks on the app. Since then, we've hosted past life regression events, and I always love chatting to Daniel. In this episode, we explore the basics of hypnotherapy, the point of past life regression, and anxiety. Okay, so let's dive into this. Um, what is your favorite quote at the moment? So we were talking a moment ago about a recent vacation I had. I was along the coast of Norway with a friend who's from that area, and there's this proverb there that I'm, I'm sure I'm paraphrasing and getting wrong somehow, but that there's no such thing as bad weather, just the wrong clothes. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And why did that resonate with you? Because there was some rain every day, and then there was some beautiful sun the rest of the day, and you know the weather really just kind of accentuated the beauty of the place. We didn't need it to be sunny twenty four hours of the day or anything like that. I mean, just like our experiences, we don't have it. Doesn't always have to be amazing for us to be able to enjoy them. Shadows and light, man. Yeah. Love that. Um, what is the most profound, or just any sort of life lesson you've been reminded of recently? I'm still thinking about travel. So, you know, it, it is absolutely something to do with that Mark Twain quote that I'm not remembering at all right now, but that, you know, travel is essentially the cure for ignorance in every other possible, every possible form of ignorance. Um, and that just, you know, seeing parts of the world we haven't seen before and meeting new people and connecting with people and places that we've never been to is a way of also reminding ourselves, hey, we're not that different. You know, there's Ooh, just you know, a handful of things we're all really concerned with, our health, our family, our safety. <laughs> yeah. So true. Well, yeah. I love that. All the same. And lastly, how do you define happiness? As an action, uh, as a feeling. Mm. Um, yeah, as something nonverbal. Okay, so we're going to dive in um, to you being this incredible 
second generation hypnotherapist. Um, but I know for many of those, uh, many of the listeners, let's just start from the basics. And what is hypnotherapy, first and foremost? So hypnotherapy, very simply, is the use of trance states and hypnosis for therapeutic purposes. The core principle of hypnosis is all hypnosis is self-hypnosis. So one of the first misconceptions and one of the most significant misconceptions that if we were to just bake into our culture the way, for instance, the Freudian model of the conscious and the subconscious mind are kind of understood commonly amongst us, this idea that all hypnosis is self-hypnosis, without wanting to put anybody out of business, all stage hypnotists would kind of be done. And I really think that this would be a huge evolutionary shift in our understanding of ourselves, just this awareness that trance is common and naturally occurring, and that the most powerful hypnotist in any given moment is the voice inside our heads, or the voices, for that matter, and our own filters and biases and early life experiences, our self-talk, essentially. Is hypnosis is a constant feedback loop of right. trance. Mm, interesting. So basically working out of our subconscious brain when we're not really thinking about our actions and reactions. In a sense, yes. I would like the answer to what is hypnotherapy to be simple, you know, and not so intellectual. Uh, but, you know, hypnosis and hypnotherapy, I believe, to be perhaps the most useful therapies in the modern world just because we're already so hypnotized by our devices and the screens mm. and trance states mm. i feel are deeper and more ubiquitous than they've ever been and that it's parallel to the spikes in anxiety and the other things that have gone up and risen in the last 15 20 years with the advent of our smartphones and all of these screens that we're constantly hypnotized by so you know i think that this therapy is more relevant today than it's ever been. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow. I mean, to me, that just really clicked. Mm. Essentially, what you said is hypnotherapy is getting into a trance state. And so yes. it's using our already existing trance states, really. But yes, certainly. And pardon my interruption, but it is getting into the trance in a conscious way. And I think, you know, it's interesting because I didn't even consider the fact that when I'm on my device, I can go into a trance state. It's, it's funny. I haven't even considered that. But yeah, I guess it's so true. We become 
so locked in whatever we're doing, and I suppose that is a trance state. Yeah. What would happen in a hypnotherapy session then? So how does someone help someone get into a trance state? So to use my sessions as an example, my sessions are about 60 to 75 minutes long. They begin with 20 to 30 minutes of conversation. My first question is always, how can I help you? Wow. The follow-up sessions are a continuation of wherever our conversation began. And I do like to start establishing goals and get to know what progress would feel like for my clients as soon as possible. And after we've answered the questions and had the kind of introductory conversation that we need to have, the proper background, the second half of the session is spent in the practical portion. Now, I love this about hypnotherapy as well. Of course, I'm biased. And, you know, I want to also state I really think all therapies are tools that are available to us. Mm. One is not better than the other. It's just going to be right for certain jobs and better in the certain hands of certain people and et cetera, et cetera. So all of these things being equal. I love hypnotherapy because of what we do in the second half of the session here. We cut out the intellectualizing, even kind of acknowledging intellectualization is probably part of the problem, the overthinking and the being inside of our heads. And we embrace what hypnosis is well known for, exploring the subconscious, its shadows and light, going through not only the stuff that makes sense, but the stuff that doesn't, as anxieties often don't. And of course, you know, this being the modern age in New York City, anxiety relief is most of what I see really? that comes into my office. Various forms of, but I would say yes, uh, the majority, you know, somewhere around the 60% range, maybe. I know this sounds a, a basic question, but also maybe even a complex question, but what even is anxiety? Like, what is happening in the brain? It's a fantastic question. And, and you know, the first thing that really shifted my awareness on anxiety is this idea in psychology that excitement and anxiety exist on the same polarity, mm. but that you know excitement is anxiety in the positive, and anxiety is excitement in the negative. Mm. And being essentially the same substance, it's like, you know, the sock is still a sock when it's turned inside out. Right. So then thinking as well of the emotional spectrum of all of us. Yeah. Time and again, when we come to this point where there's this deeper, again, kind of nonverbal learning that we're not here to eradicate our fears, but to reintegrate our anxieties and our fears and our parts into our system in ways that are compassionate and healing. You know, so for instance, most people's anxieties begin with a, a self-protective impulse. It's probably wise. You know, it's like, I don't want to mess this up. Right. <laughs> you know, some version of I want to get this right. I don't want to mess this up. I'm excited about it. You know, and then it goes out of whack. You know, this is where, you know, the emotions, honestly, just kind of, I'm speaking very hypothetically and painting with a broad yeah. brush now, but this is where the human brain and the fight, of, fight or flight response, you know, just take these threads and just run, just go. They, go they, <laughs> just they get go. past the ball and oh. they're like, I'm not passing the yeah. ball back, I'm yeah. running. Send it down to the hands, send it down <laughs> to the feet, send it back up. You know? It's so true. It, that really, it's the feeling of anxiety. It's, it, yeah. They've taken the ball and run with it, run, running with it. And in our relatively comfortable modern lives, you know, this is how these parts of ourselves get amped up. And it, in my own life here in the city, I think of often of the person who would come into my office, you know, that has panic attacks on the train mm. or just, you know, is walking around the city, which we can agree is uh, opera 
<laughs> of cacophony and noise and just, you know, walking around New York is no joke. The unchecked sound and just the amount of attention and the grind of it to do it. I, I love, love, love this city. But, you know, it is, as we all know, glass, concrete and steel. It's dramatic. And, yes, very. So take, okay, so let's just take that exa- for example. So a person's having panic attacks as they walk around New York. Mm. That anxiety originated from an impulse you're saying, which is, I should be safe on the streets or something. Yeah, usually it begins with a self-protective impulse, each of us wanting to feel secure in, in our bodies. So when that's threatened, that's then what triggers... The threat or perceived threat. I mean, mm-hmm. this is the thing, you know, the where's the threat coming from? What is the threat? And that's for each of us to decide for ourselves. You know, I'm, I'm again, all hypnosis being self-hypnosis, we're all our own kind of masters in this way. But when you say all hypnosis is self-hypnosis, it's quite difficult to hypnotize yourself, right? Or is it not? Well, think of the trance as already occurring. It's happening now. It doesn't really start or end. Another one of the biggest misconceptions, kind of even the creepiest, that has a very interesting history to in entertainment and medicine, um, is the hypnotist's power to put trance in things. It's Uh, it's kind of creepy, right? You know, behave like a chicken, and then suddenly you assume that hypnosis is basically going to take control of you. Yes, and the cartoonish image that we could find easily online of, you know, the kind of... uh, Look into my eyes. Well, yes, that or the guy shooting lightning bolts out of his fingers or something like this. But essentially that he or she, but it's usually a he, is putting trance into things. When the truth of the matter is, is the trance is already there. He's just putting on a dramatic little show to guide attention and misdirect and and create whatever his kind of uh, script is. Interesting. And, you know, again, I say this all things being equal. I know some great stage hypnotists. I know some great mentalists and their shows are awesome. Of course. <laughs> but in terms impressive. of, you know, hypnotherapy when, you know, in your practice and many other hypnotherapists around the world, actually you it, it, it's a it's a process between you two, right? Yeah. So and I think it's interesting cuz my mother's a hypnotherapist Yes. I know. So there's always bonded. Spoke, I yeah. know, yeah. So I Anytime in, you want to become a hypnotherapist, there's only a handful of us second generations, you know? Right. You'd be you'd be in the club instantly, Poppy. <laughs> oh, thanks, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> but it is really interesting. So we used, we used to get hypnotized, you know, since we were kind of 12, 13 when mm-hmm. my mother was practicing. And I think the one thing that she used to get really annoyed at is exactly to your point mm. people have this awful uh, interpretation of therapy as essentially you're going to become controlled and then you're going right. to lose control of yourself and right. that person can make you do all sorts of things right. but it really isn't like that if someone if your mobile phone went off during hypnotherapy you could walk up and get it you're not going to stop yourself from doing that and that's what i think is a lot of people aren't you know they're not opening themselves up to this incredible benefits of therapy because they're a little bit scared about it I yeah. suppose. and that's the part that bums me out you know it's we can say without a doubt film and television is the worst culprit in this regard it's not their job to accurately represent hypnosis yeah. so i'm not mad about it but yeah. you know it's it's on the consumer side it's the person that could be you or I or anybody we know that would benefit from hypnosis benefit or hypnotherapy so yeah. that is stopping themselves because they have these associations in their mind Wrong and and it's not their fault you know it's not yeah. their fault the the cultural cultural messaging is so confusing 
the obscurity and the obfuscation and the confusion is somewhat intentional again because you know stage hypnosis like magic you know one of the things that they have in common is misdirection and that's actually as one who practices the way i practice and you know kind of overlaps hypnosis and hypnotherapy misdirection is the one thing in my mission i don't do actually i make an effort to not misdirect and ultimately very clear. yeah to just do everything out in front you know yeah. with my hands so open to get back to the kind of the practical elements of hypnotherapy for this woman who are who's you know our example at the moment who kind of has panic attacks walking around new york when she then has hypnotherapy this trance state is able to access subconscious beliefs that you're then able to alter so she doesn't have the say she's not triggered in the same way post the hypnotherapy session is am i correct in thinking that yeah it, it could be framed too as a brain training as learning and unlearning for that matter i often do describe and you know i think it is accurate to think of hypnotherapy the practical portion especially during the the sessions themselves as a brain training in the positive psychology of how one wants to feel during performance, whether that's work, rest, or play. So, yes, you know, one of the questions I'll always ask people I work with, or usually at least once during the session, is how would you like to feel or how would you rather feel to elicit their vocabulary, essentially, for what relaxation and confidence feels like for them. And it's very interesting. Sometimes people have very robust languages and vocabularies for their positive states, and they can talk about bliss and joy and ecstasy and relaxation and calm. Mm -hmm. And there's like, you know, 45 words for snow, you know, where they're talking about all these wonderful ways of feeling. And then there are other people that have very small vocabularies. Um, and I'll say, I notice a correspondence between this. You know, if somebody has um, two words for what happiness can be, happiness will only be two different things. Wow. So, you know, the again, you know, hypnotists being deeply interested in, and focused on language, um, vocabulary comes into play. You know, I, I I won't say that it's good or bad or anything. You know, it's not that people should be doing this or not be doing that so much, but it's just that it's a factor and a, something so I look in, for. So actually, some advice you'd give it would be um, expand your vocabulary. Really yeah. try and use different words about how you want to feel every single day. I, I, yes. It's emotional intelligence, ultimately, I think it boils down to. And to your point and following your thread, get to know how you feel when you feel great. Mm. as much as you do the other stuff, mm. uh, you know, that is training your brain. Mm. Yeah, the brain is with us at all t points. And again, self-talk takes on the shape of learning uh, with repetition. So, you know, just getting to know our positive states and our sources, sources of relaxation and joy and things we can go back to over and over again and chill out. That's really interesting. What has shocked you most about the brain in your work? It's encouraging, too, but I would just say the knowledge around neuroplasticity in the last, I think, roughly 20 years of brain science, which is really excitedly focused on the brain's constantly changing. You know, change is the constant. Uh, so the brain's constantly learning. It's always plastic, and you know, it's a question of how we activate and deactivate certain things and trigger things and not trigger other things. Your question about what has shocked me the most is just how responsive the, 
the brain stays, you know, um, it's encouraging. Right, right. It's because there is an old age belief that that your brain basically hardened at the age of 25 and you can't, can't change it. can't teach an it. old dog new tricks. Right, which is yeah. just so untrue. It's bullshit. Can we swear on this podcast? We can. Right, we can great. swear as much great. as you want. Excellent. How has your opinion on humanity changed since you've been in the seat of a hypnotherapist? The intimacy that is created... Um, as quickly as it is, is sometimes shocking to me. And this is the benefit, which I know you can speak to as well, of growing up around this stuff and having things like this close to us as children neutralizes a, a quote-unquote weirdness mm. around it, which I think is totally understandable for people that aren't accustomed to this stuff. I mean, you know, it is, I suppose, unique to grow up with past life regression in one's family. Um so I, I understand it seeming weird to others. But to have that kind of stigma and that kind of thinking neutralized immediately or just at a very young age so that then as an adult uh, on top of years of training and preparation and everything else in the sessions themselves, being able to, in a very short amount of time, again, create a kind of intimacy that's very unique. Again, that's very unique. And it's a kind of pause from life. You know, there's this, uh, I can't remember who said it. I wish I could. Another guy on another podcast, I think it was a psychiatrist, said something to the effect of, nobody will ever speak to you other than your mother or your lover, than your hypnotist. Wow. And it's such a weird idea, but unfortunately it's pretty true. Yeah. The intimacy, it's, it's, it's lovely and... Um, Does it make you more compassionate towards people? Or do you, absolutely. Do you sit there and go... Oh my God, people don't realize how incredible they are. Or like it yeah. just shocks you just like how low self-esteem people have. Or Constantly. Like, mm. Constantly. Shame is this insidious fucking force in our culture and in our, in our society, in, in us, essentially, um, that coming from my family's story, outside of the hypnosis, my father was an orphan who grew up outside Boston in the 1940s, raised in Catholic orphanages, who had this deeply fascinating, very often tragic story in his upbringing and in his life um, that brought him, of course, to hypnosis. He was actually trained in hypnosis by the U.S. military in the late 1950s wow. when they were doing a lot of freaky experiments in the mind that looked a lot like science fiction. So that was my dad's introduction when he was in his late teens, early 20s. And that's where it starts in my family. So you know, in my father's personal story and family history and in his work, he was always talking about shame and depression and anxiety wasn't quite as in vogue as it is now mm. back in the 90s, but it was still around, of course. Uh, you know, so all of these subjects being kind of constants, uh, yeah, I continue to notice that in, in my clients today. And I, I, I see uh, so often you know, people ashamed of things they shouldn't be ashamed of, people who don't have anything to be ashamed of. Who you know are like what? Well, it's a simple example, but I think it's one we all understand. Just kind of run of the mill body shame. Mm. Uh, people who don't feel comfortable in their bodies or want to lose that ten pounds or you know want to get twelve reps in or run this many miles or whatever. You know, in men and in women, 
it's it's various forms of and shades of and you know without using this term diagnostically just body dysmorphia people mm-hmm. who feel weird in their bodies which will happen sometimes too it's not the worst thing in the world but it the presence of shame in that play emotionally creates a really tough barrier to get around and it doesn't need to be there this is the bottom line you know it's just people feeling bad about their bodies for no fucking reason because Uh of what we see in television and the advertisements around us just these ideas that our heads get filled with we know what they are yeah i mean to your point right at the beginning of the show and it's kind of perfectly linking up Really what, you know, you've said is we are so often in a trance state Mm. and when you're in a hypnotherapy session, you're in a trance state where the intention of that trance state is for you to enhance good feelings, positive feelings, change limiting beliefs. But in all the the other times we're in a trance state when we're walking around just doing our daily things, we're receiving like pretty negative messages. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of scary. Yeah, not only negative, like fictional messages, mm. like these. I don't know. I don't mean to vilify anybody either. You know, I got a lot of friends in advertising. Of I've course. worked with advertising agencies. I think that there's an art to it. Um, and yeah, oftentimes it is like outright fictional kind of. They're displayed as aspirational. I mean, this is the thing that's kind of toxic. Is like they're they're these huge images plastered all over New York of like impossibly slim young bodies that mm. is just like what the what the fuck is this what are, <laughs> right. what, are, you know, what are you even selling right in a young mind that's very impressionable and very suggestible like my own at a young age i would look at that and be like oh fuck man i gotta do more push-ups or whatever right 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 god that's so interesting so along with hypnotherapy you also work in past life aggression yes now, I know a lot of people think, well, this is so woo-woo, past life regression. Right. Break it down for us. Like, yeah. what is it? And yeah. how do you, we know it's true? Yeah. So as I was saying before about hypnosis being low-key, one of the most useful therapies on earth today, uh, I would say similarly of past life regression, which we can think of as a niche within hypnotherapy. Past life regression itself was born in the late 70s, around the same time I was, when a certain number of books were written and published that described and talked about the practice, the way it is still generally practiced in most most places in the world today. So we're talking about a relatively young therapy that comes out of uh, you know the same kind of hot springs of therapeutic innovation in the 1970s as like Est and Esalon and a, a lot of weird culty stuff and you know everything on the spectrum. Um, so in other words, in my opinion, this means it has a really fun history. In today's parlance, past life regression can achieve for us everything that hypnosis can, but it has inside of it the ability to address our spiritual questions, which how many therapies can do that? Mm. You know, if we what ha- do you mean by that? Well, if one has a suspicion or an inkling or a question about past lifetimes, about uh, reincarnation, about cycles of life, about any number of things, regression therapy itself, the language gets confusing now, so this is also a case of if you're confused, it means you're kind of paying attention. Uh, regression therapy itself kind of blows the doors off of just past life regression and says that we can explore present life memories through this modality and past lifetime memories 
and non-human memories and ancestral memories and extraterrestrial stuff and all this other stuff. So regression therapy and regression therapists generally will take this as far as the imagination will let us. Have you had any examples or can you share any examples where you've almost had proof after having regressed someone into a past life? I can't, but you know, to your question, which I appreciate, another piece of my career and that's pretty built into my mission at the start is that I, I'm not interested in past life regression as a way to, to prove or disprove the afterlife. Mm. In fact, it's been proven a pretty bad tool for mm. proving or disproving the afterlife. Mm. Great therapeutic tool. Mm. Okay, you know, Scientific, not so much. Therapeutic, yes. Interesting. But to come back so to your question, so people have amazing effects. Oh yeah, author it. Yeah. Well, that and that's and that's what I would say too. It's like, well, it, what is one's mission here? If it's proving or disproving the afterlife, you're looking for the division of perceptual studies at the University of Virginia, led by Jim Tucker, who is continuing Ian Stevenson's work, where they were working with children mostly who did remember past lifetimes that were fact-checked and verified. So yeah, those stories totally exist. And these guys who are are great, their work is compelling and fascinating. And they've really followed the thread of what are those legitimate, verified, fact-checked stories and, you know, and they present the straight up inexplicable stuff. And it's like, wow, yeah, that's, that's wild. Now, in my clients' work, you know, I really defer to everybody I work with as the experts on themselves. So I'm never going to tell anybody else what is or is not a past lifetime memory. Mm. My role and my focus with the people I work with is let's make it useful. Mm. What, what do you want to do? You know, and, and there are a number of stories that I could offer that... Yeah, can you help us understand kind of one example of someone who's been past, uh, been regressed yeah. and how that's impacted their life going forward. One of my uh, favorite examples, favorite people I've worked with over the years who shall remain nameless, she had lost an infant son a couple years before coming to see me and she was coming for in the first sessions, which she just described as a kind of run-of-the-mill anxiety, the kind of stuff we were describing before even that can happen on the train or moving around the city or going to work. And uh, the work that we were doing, she became interested in past life regression. We started doing past life regression. She had a terrific benefit and enjoyed it very much. And this kind of led her to other spiritual questions, which led her in our sessions on a path towards integrating and bringing in the part of her deceased son that lived on in her. And it was a way of working through her grief over the course of years, you know, mm-hmm. um, that I never planned for and mm-hmm. couldn't have asked for. And it was just her son, you know, I feel like I know him through through our work. And, you know, she remains very inspiring to me as a friend of mine now. And we continue to see each other professionally every once in a while, too. Um, and again, it was, you know, a process with her. I, I see people most of the time for a couple weeks or a couple months, you know, hypnosis and hypnotherapy are usually intended as brief interventions. Another thing I kind of like about them, frankly, is that it's not supposed to last forever. This particular client, we worked together four years, you know, um, but she was coming in once every two weeks or something like that. So yeah, this, it's, uh, it's surprising. It's just surprising 
what comes through and when it's sincerely engaged with, uh, yeah, it can be tremendously therapeutic. I mean, I I ask these questions kind of as, as an audience member, but I have done a ton of hypnotherapy myself. I've been regressed a bunch of times and I did, I've done a bunch of child, uh, inner child work mm. and I can't testify more about how powerful it is. Right. The memories that come up. Yeah. Like, to be honest, life-changing because yeah. it accesses these, you know, subconscious patterns that you spoke about at the beginning of the, the episode. Um, and uh, and it's interesting. I mean, I've been regressed into so many different lives. Um, and I think I, the first time I was regressed, I must have been um, 19. My mother regresses, but never regressed us. She just kind of hypnotized us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was a nun. I, you know, all these kind of experiences. Mm. But it was, it's had a tremendous value mm-hmm. on my life. Mm-hmm. And also just to your point as well, self-awareness. I yeah. mean, that is one of the best presents we can give ourselves yeah. is just to understand our mind a bit better. There's no better way, I think, than the therapies that you've been talking about. Yeah. The, uh, you know, another thing that's very popular today is this kind of discussion around archetypal psychology. And, you know, I think past life regression is another tool that's wonderful for exploring that. The myths that we carry from a very kind of Joseph Campbell, Carl Jung point of view, creativity, of course, people that come in with writer's block will do past life regression relatively soon just to activate the storytelling machine wow. in the subconscious. So yeah, I think uh, I agree. <laughs> Have you been regressed? What are you in a oh, past life? Yeah, tons of times. So the first time I did it, I was about 13 years old, like you. <laughs> I never did it one-on-one with my dad. He would yeah. hypnotize me, but I would go with him to groups that he would lead. Wow. And I would just kind of like hang out in the background and do the exercises and stuff like that. Uh, So the first past lifetime I went into, I was a woman in the Great Plains of the United States during expansion into the West and had this husband. It was like a caricature of the Monopoly man. He was like a banker, had all the money and the power. (laughs) And he left me high and dry. And we had a bunch of kids. And I don't know what happened to them. I just saw myself die, collapse doing dishes in this like western ranch house and uh yeah so that that was the first one and it was just years ago i mean here's another thing that's hiding in the practice of past life regression it's just been a couple years ago recently that i was like huh what took my young male mind first into the consciousness of a 20-something young woman yeah And, you know, experiences in past life regression that I've had, you know, I was a a Middle Eastern boy in a past life regression where I'm forgetting some of the details, but it was like I was hiding information from my uncle and I said something I shouldn't have and he got punished as a result of it. And there was this catastrophic kind of lesson in the, the past lifetime of the power of a voice and saying things and not saying things and, you know, when to conceal information and when to share it. It's like the opportunity to just touch, you know, this other consciousness or this other way of seeing the world or, you know, I don't want to speak too hyperbolically about it. We're not switching bodies or anything like that. But again, it it can't help but make one more empathetic on a certain level. Right. Women are very good at talking about their anxieties, I think, mm. in general. And I think, uh, you know, we are conditioned to share with our friends and call them up. And I think it would just be quite helpful for us to just to quickly touch upon anxieties that exist in men yeah what anxiety what kind of things do you hear most from men that you know thank you for asking yeah no truly um i think that's really important too i'm a big 
uh, I'm paying a lot of attention to a lot of the writing and the stuff that's being said about men and the crises amongst men and toxic masculinity and mm-hmm. all of these ideas in the world. Speaking broadly again, anxieties that I see in the guys around me or in the men that I work with, there is a kind of struggle. You know, and this is consistent, of course, not in everybody. You know, this is this is a segment of the population of men that I know, not every man that I know. I'm very pleased to say that I think I know a lot of good men. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, and when I read things and hear things about toxic masculinity and the crises amongst men, I feel like I know some of those guys. I feel like I have been perhaps that guy at times in my life, although I'm not currently, thankfully. Um, so, you know, there's this sense too of gratitude that I, I I don't feel that I'm surrounded necessarily by right. um by men who have an unhealthy sense of their own masculinity or femininity for that matter. Uh so that having been said, it's not so different from the anxieties of the women that I work with. Interesting. But it, so you see actually much much similarity between the genders. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There's commonality. Again, in Maslow's hierarchy, everybody's looking for security. Everybody's mm. concerned about their health, their family, mm. their money, their job, their work, you know. Mm. This it manifests differently, of course. And coming back to vocabulary, oftentimes guys don't have as ro- robust a vocabulary as women. As you were even saying before, that you feel like there's this kind of cultural training, perhaps, to mm. talk about one's feelings or to talk about your feelings with your girls. You know, we can agree there is. It, it's kind of, I think it's dying now, but there is certainly a cultural programming for men not to, mm. um, or at least to have you know, few words and express themselves like Hemingway or something like mm. that. I do believe there, there's just, it's a search for purpose, you know, it's a search for meaning, broadly speaking, that nets down to, am I happy in my work? Am I happy in my home? Am I happy in my relationships? Happy can also be fulfilled, satisfied, witnessed, heard, oh, seen. Interesting. Really powerful. Um, so this uh, leads me to... Mm. Um, the quick round, All and right. um, I invite you to finish the sentence that I start. Okay. So, Daniel Ryan. Yes. I relax by hanging out with my friends and family, um, smoking cannabis, uh, <laughs> reading, <laughs> writing, uh, going for walks, hanging out with my dog. Epic. The person I love most in the world is oh, my wife Sarah, and my mom. So I can. I'm taking two. The last dream I had was. Still going. (laughs) I am dying to have dinner with. I'll say Alan Watts. He'd be a great dinner date, wouldn't he? (laughs) He'd be. I'd I'd get him drunk. (laughs) He was a drinker. We know that. If I could do it all again, I would. Start sooner. Best thing I bought recently was. I got these cute little sweaters for my friends. New. uh, They have a newborn daughter. And their son, Dean, uh, we got these nice sweaters for them in Norway. So we'll go with that. These lovely little Scandinavian sweaters for our friends' kids. So cute. Best piece of advice I was given was? Oh, man. We, we started with it. I got to go with there's no such thing as bad weather, just the wrong clothes. My first thought in the morning usually is? Here we go. Before I go to sleep, I? Close my eyes. When I'm feeling insecure, I? Pause. If you really knew me, you would know. <laughs> me? Question mark? <laughs> <laughs> Epic. Well, thank you so much.
so much. Daniel, where can we find you? Um, can you please share your socials online? How can we learn more? Um, and can we hear you speak? Yeah. Give it to us. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So my website is www.danielryancrt.com. Uh, there you can find my contact information and all kinds of information about me and my practice. I'm based in New York City. I have offices in Manhattan and Brooklyn. Uh, I'm speaking around town fairly regularly. I work with the Womb Center regularly. I'm there once or twice a month. Um, I will be doing events here at 1000 Birds, where we are broadcasting today over the course of the fall. And then... Uh, a couple other places coming together currently, but yeah, I'll be around over the course of the fall doing a lot of talks, and I'm on Instagram at Daniel Ryan CRT. Amazing. And if you are struggling with sleep, head on to the Happy Not Perfect That's app right. and listen to Daniel's sleep meditation series. It is a real gem, saved me many a time. And um, he's a total joy. So thank you so much for this amazing episode. Thank you so much, Poppy. It's been fascinating. Your work is truly phenomenal. Appreciate it. Thank I you. I say thank you on behalf of thousands of people that you've helped. Thank you. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. Of course, it would be amazing and very appreciated if you wouldn't mind hitting subscribe and sharing this podcast. You can find me at Poppy Jamie on Instagram. DM me questions or any guest suggestions. I'd love to hear from you. And also, if you have a moment, download Happy Not Perfect. It's my mindfulness app that helps you manage stress, anxiety, sleep, and ultimately makes you feel happier every single day in less than five minutes. See you next time. Sending you lots of love and energy. Till then. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.